0: Buongiorno, ragazzi! Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 28, Friday, January 11th, 2019, and in this episode, I will start by doing some quick hitters, then we'll jump into a little post-mortem on the Chicago Bears season, as that season came to an agonizing end on Sunday night in Chicago with that Cody Parkey field goal. Um, Then I'll put a bow on the 2018 college football season, as we saw underdog Clemson get the money and win outright on Monday night, winning the national championship over Alabama. And then we'll touch on some college hoops, and then jump into our look aheads at the NFL divisional round card with a couple of best bets, and that'll be it. We'll keep this one short and sweet for you, but first, let's get started with some quick hitters. Okay, let's get it going the first ever sports betting national championship is taking place this weekend in New Jersey. Johnny Avello, the head dog at draft Kings organized this and it's actually starting today and running through Sunday. Um, it's a $10,000 entry and that gives you a $5,000 bankroll to use on their site and their app within the entire state of New Jersey, or you can bet on the site itself or on site at the sports book itself. Um, and then it's a $5,000 entry fee as well. So $10,000 entry gets you into that. And we're looking at an overlay in this first annual one uh, just due to the lack of people to meet the guaranteed prize pool. They guaranteed over $1 million to the top prize. So I'm going to be tracking this this weekend because they've had um, over, there's around 200 people that I think signed up, maybe a little bit more. But it's, it's attracted some big names, some uh, even some poker players like Phil Hellmuth is is throwing his hat in the ring, but then there's a lot of sharps that have apparently traveled out there from Vegas and a few um, bigger groups that are represented there. And By group, I mean um, betting syndicates that they'll they'll be playing on this as well. I know a few names from VEASAN, Gil Alexander, who does a numbers game at VEASAN. He flew out there to play, to take part in it with his partner, so he's going on in, in a team. But I'll be really interested in checking this out just to see how the strategy goes. So basically, you the rules are you just get five thousand dollar bankroll and then you have all weekend to bet and whoever has the most money at the end from that five thousand bankroll wins wins the prize, wins the top prize, but I think they also pay out to the top 15 or 20 guys, so based off your bankroll at the end of the day. And from my understanding, the only rule is, I mean, you can bet on anything on the board, anything you want, but on Sunday, you could only bet on the two NFL divisional round games, the playoff games. You could have parlays or teasers from the previous days ending on Sunday. That's fine, but in terms of in terms of Sunday alone, you can't place anything on anything else, any other games besides those two Uh, playoff game so I'll be interested to see how how it plays out I know I've heard some guys touch on their strategy and I think it's pretty important to jump on it today on Friday to build the bankroll today heading into tomorrow so I think a lot of guys will try to get that big parlay hit probably a two or three team parlay in the beginning to try and hit that other guys might take a different approach and just put it all on one game and roll it over from there Uh, but given the short time period it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. So I'm, I'm very fascinated in this, and I will provide an update next week uh, with who won and how they went about winning it. An undisclosed international betting broker just wrote $1.2 million on the Chiefs this weekend to one undisclosed better, just one guy, and it's it's unclear exactly which website at this point, but it was just announced this morning that they took this $1.2 million bet, and the bets were broken down like this. 500,000 on the Chiefs laying minus five, 250,000 on the Chiefs laying five and a half, and the final 450,000 on the Chiefs laying six points. Um, If these bigger, higher scoring teams make it to the Super Bowl, I think we'll see a lot more. I mean, obviously, we're going to get big Super Bowl bets regardless, there's going to be a few million dollar bets. That are getting made in Vegas and also in New Jersey as well. I'm sure, but I think if we get these bigger, higher scoring teams, like the, if we got like a Chiefs Saints Super Bowl, you're going to see even more. And I bet even over a dozen one million dollar plus bets um, get placed here just in the states alone, where it's legal. So it'll be fascinating. I think that sports books they're almost if they're looking for the action, they want those higher scoring teams to get in there. But I just found that fascinating that that much money has already been placed on a game that's not even the Super Bowl. Speaking of the Super Bowl, CBS announced their stupid decision not to discuss sports betting throughout the entire February 3rd broadcast, and I think this is a missed opportunity for them. I mean, it's, it's understandable that their talent is not well-versed in sports betting lingo, but just to avoid it completely and not even touch on it and make that announcement beforehand I think is very short-sighted on their part. Um, so if I'm another network, I'm looking to seize the opportunity here to provide something to the fans, even before the game, some kind of pregame show that touches on prop bets. Uh, I know that most probably won't look to do that, but I know for me that's what I'd be looking to turn into because let's be real here, that's everyone's got some skin in the game on the Super Bowl, and they want to know some angles to, to make bets on. And obviously here on the Doggy Juice podcast, we're going to break down the game leading up to it and provide some best bets on the prop market because Super Bowl – As I'll touch on in a couple weeks, the Super Bowl is that unique time, at least for me, where it provides value on prop bets that normally would not see value, just due to the overwhelming amount of public money um, on certain props. Usually the public likes to bet the yes props for a bigger payout and not the no props, but so that opens up value on, on a lot of no props, which I'll touch on in a couple of weeks. Not too exciting. Some of the stuff will be laying, like, for example, no defensive special teams touchdown. Uh, team scoring three in a row. Those are stuff I'll touch on in a couple weeks. But three scores in a row is another popular one that the, the public likes to bet as well. So they like to bet the no on that, though, typically. So it'll be fascinating, but I think CBS is really, really kind of ruining their shot here to get ahead of the game. Remember when FanDuel decided to pay out their Alabama futures early a couple of months ago? Well, don't worry about them at all. This is a common practice in Europe to pay out bets before they actually come in. Remember that Patty Power Betfair, who's based in Europe, they acquired FanDuel last year. So this was a total PR marketing move on their part, and it made a lot of sense at the time. Obviously, they crunched their numbers and figured that the value in paying out those bets early was was worth their while, because the guys who got paid out are obviously looking to put their money into playing something else. So instead of having people who had Alabama futures sit on their money for an extra couple months. Even though they would have eventually lost that, the FanDuel payout, they, they got their guys their money early, and then they put it right back into play. So it's going right to FanDuel anyway. And besides that, there was a total PR marketing move on their end, and don't be surprised if we see similar things like that in the future. All right, now it's time to move on to my post-mortem on the Chicago Bears 2018 season and my take on why I'm worried that all Chicago fans are not going to be paying attention to the right things this offseason. So I think any breakdown on the Bears 2018 season absolutely has to start with where it started and this team had a win total an expected win total of six and a half games. A lot of books had it uh, it saw a lot of money obviously go to the over, including me, I, I bet on the over, but uh, some books you saw move to seven when the season started, but that was their range, and this team won 12 games, so when you're looking back at the bear season, you have to at least look back at where it started and how, how much that team just turned the page this year. I mean, obviously, Nagy... You have to look at him and thank him for everything that he's done to turn this thing around, and I think more importantly for the way he mentored Trubisky as the season went along. He didn't put him in too many bad situations, allowed the team to win the game on their own and instead of counting on Trubisky and putting him in spots where uh, just bad positions where he could lose the game for the team. He never really asked Trubisky to, to win too many games for the, for the team during the season, but... Looking back at the Bears, they're one of the top teams in DVOA, and they're also back to having that identity of having a top defense, which I think Bears fans, myself included, we really missed the past few years. So the Bears are back, and Bears fans, I think, are, are very pleased when looking back at the season. But obviously the way the, the season ended with the Cody Parkey missed field goal, obviously there's video evidence out now that the field goal was tipped. But regardless of that, regardless of the po- Cody Parkey kick, Um, there's reasons why I think Bears, Bears fans should actually at least kind of come off a little bit in terms of expectations, and I think the Bears fans who think that they aren't in the playoffs this week because of a Cody Parkey field goal are fooling themselves and will be sorely disappointed next year, in my opinion. And there are a few things that nobody's even talking about. So for me, starting with that loss... Um, or, sorry, the fact that they did not lose to the Vikings the week before, I think. I, I was saying it at the time. It's obviously easy to say after the fact. But, man, I mean, just the Eagles are the defending champions. They're playing their best football at the end of the season, and the Bears could have chosen their their opponent last week. And, obviously, they, they didn't want to lose that game outright because there was the outside chance that the Rams would lose and the Bears can get the bye week. But it was there for the taking in the, in the second half, playing – the Vikings the next week, and I think Nagy really dropped the ball on that one. It's easy to say after the fact, but much rather would have faced the Vikings at home than the Eagles last week, and I don't think anybody disagrees at this point. The two-point conversion in that game, Nagy deciding to go cute again, that's the type of two-point conversion you don't run uh, when it matters. Maybe it's something you run when when you're up big later in the game, but going cute and putting Khalil Mack in motion on that play, and you even saw Nagy smiling with Khalil Mack on the sideline after that one, and that... That, uh, that that one cost the Bears. I mean, he overthought it, Nagy, in that one, and I think that cost them. If they got the two-point conversion, you're looking at a seven-point game, and I think the Bears get the win. But that, the fact that they missed on that one, I think a simple inside run would have been a good look, but but Nagy got too cute on that. But my big worry is that Bears fans are going to remember that game for the parking miss and think that Trubisky did his part, but that's that could not be further from the truth. I, I worry that people will wash away the actual truth here and only remember that Trubisky that last Trubisky pass to set up the field goal, which was an amazing pass. It was awesome. But the actual truth in that game was the Bears had 16 third downs in that game. They just could not move the ball at all, especially in the first half, and a lot of that was due to Trubisky's inaccuracy. He is a work in progress. We all know that. And the Bears' path to the Super Bowl is entirely dependent on him taking that next step next year. But I'm skeptical about it myself. I I really am worried about that. I think Trubisky's got to take that next step, and I don't see it from what I've seen this year. And Bears fans are not going to talk about that this offseason. They're going to think, you know, if Trubisky led, they're going to have that recency bias. Remember that last drive, that awesome last pass by Trubisky, when in reality, his ineptitude in that game was a big reason why the Bears lost that game. So everyone's got to keep their expectations in check with this guy moving forward, but I'll certainly be cheering for him. And Michael Lombardi um, of Vison, and he used to be a part of the Patriots um, executive uh, team he used to be higher up there but he brought an interesting point up and eagles fans would really like this but the ironic thing about that that last play that the eagles ran on on fourth down to get the touchdown to uh, to golden tate that was the exact play that the falcons ran on them last year on fourth down uh, with Julio Jones, and they threw it to him in the end zone. He couldn't come down with it. So it just shows the Eagles, their fortune. You know, coming they came down with that play, that whatever 50-50 play, and advanced this week. And last year, the Falcons didn't come down with the ball on that same exact play, which would have obviously squashed the Eagles' Super Bowl hopes last year. So the Eagles fans are holding that lucky rabbit foot right now. But for Bears fans, the Cody Parkey kick, tipped or not, does not have anything to do with all of this with all that game i mean obviously it sucks and he sucks at his job he should have made he should make a 43 yard field goal you're paid for it and he shouldn't have missed that many this season but bears fans fans blaming parky for the loss are just being lazy in my opinion and need to wake up and realize the big picture here but the big picture also involves the bears being at the top of the NFC north at the end of this season and they have a great squad a great core obviously moving forward they're not going to have the draft picks now so it'll be interesting to to see what they can do this off season but uh, very high, very hopeful for the Chicago Bowl, the Chicago Bears entering 2019. All right, let's also put a bow on the 2018 college football season. Unfortunately, on Monday night, we witnessed a game that really was not that competitive. Actually, the Clemson Tigers won the 2018 college football playoff national championship, 44 to 16 over the defending champion at the time defending champion alabama crimson tide uh, but i think looking back at that game you look back at and obviously that line was way inflated looking back at it but this is a nice exercise in not overreacting to um to recent results so i've, I've heard a few sharp guys uh, put their take down on this and i agree with most of them but if the question was what the line would be if they replayed that game this week with the exact same situation and the consensus was somewhere between a pick'em and Alabama minus three, and obviously that's a pick'em would be a huge adjustment. That would be like five to six point adjust, adjustment adjustment on what we saw in the last game, and that's even on the high side compared to adjustments we see in other sports from week to week. The most you'll see in a rematch adjustment usually is a, a point. A power rating adjustments on teams is just a couple points. It's really rare to see anything more than one or two points of an adjustment. So. For me, if they replayed that game this week, I would have Alabama at about a field goal favorite. But even that would be tough to take. I, I don't fault people for arguing that it would be a pick'em, but you know, if you ask Joe Public on the street if they replay this game, who he likes, you can get a bet down on him with Clemson laying three. I'm pretty sure, and that would be a great bet. But just a reminder in, in the Bears game that I was just talking about in the same vein against the Eagles. If the Bears and the Eagles played this week, what would the line be? The consensus about val- Vegas odds makers is Bears laying five instead of six, maybe four and a half. But clearly, it's just a one-off. You have to remember that it's just one game. And I'm of the belief that the national championship on Monday night, um, although Clemson came prepared and extremely motivated because they lost to Bama last year, that was also kind of an outlier game, in my opinion, that was set up by that pick six early on. I think you saw a total shift in the game. And as the game moved on in the second quarter, um, Clemson just started... Passing the ball all over Alabama. They might have been able to do that anyway, but I think that pick six really set things into motion. And you have to remember these games are just one offs, and we're betting on them as you would if there were if there was several of them being played. When I'm looking at a game, um, I'm fine with the fact that there's a variety of outcomes. There's a vast possibility of outcomes at any given game you're going to bet. Um, look at the Minnesota Vikings game earlier in the year when they were laying 17 points at home to the Buffalo Bills, and the Bills beat them outright, but also beat them by multiple touchdowns. So those situations do happen. It's rare. It's an outlier scenario. Not to say that Clemson beating Alabama straight up was an outlier, not even close, but you just have to realize if they play this game again, it's not a foregone conclusion that Clemson's going to win the game 44-16. It's not even close at all. So just a reminder to not overreact on your power ratings just to one particular result um in terms of the game itself though I think it was fantastic obviously I, I gave out Alabama at money line at minus 200 obviously that did not come through and my Alabama features did not come through as well but I'm fine with it got to see Clemson obviously it's just one game so Clemson uh, they won the game they deserved it and it's just a reminder that you don't have to bet just because it's a big game you know it's just when it comes down to it bankroll wise it's just one game and the you could bet on another game that's, uh, let's say, West Coast Conference college basketball game at the same time for the same amount of money. It'll mean the exact same to your bankroll. So you got to remember that. Just because you want action on a game doesn't mean you're getting down on good action. Um, I thought that there was value on that Alabama ticket. Obviously, it didn't come through. Would I've made the bet um, at the exact same moment at the same time? Yes. Would I make it now? No, after the fact. But like I said before, I would be willing to. I would be willing right now to take Alabama straight up over Clemson if they were to do a rematch. So um, just a reminder not to overreact, and this game was a perfect example of it, but congrats to Clemson for winning the national title. All right, let's move on to some quick college hoops talk now. I hate that ass all night. All right, so we've now entered conference play on the college hoops calendar, and shit's about to get real over the next two months. Right now, the top 10 Ken Palm Power Rated Teams uh, features a lot of familiar names. Number one, Duke. Two, Virginia. Three, Michigan State. Four, Gonzaga. Five, Tennessee. Six, North Carolina. Seven, Michigan. Eight, Virginia Tech. Nine, Texas Tech. And ten, Kansas. Interestingly, Wisconsin's at number 11 and Iowa State's at number 12 and Kentucky's at number 15. Uh, Ken Palm goes a long way in setting the lines and the opening numbers are often very close to Ken Palm's numbers especially with totals so for me I highly recommend getting a subscription to Ken Palm just for the content and all the data he has phenomenal stuff on there and I know bookmakers use his numbers to formulate their own as well but Ken Palm isn't necessarily right all the time also so beware of that it's not the end-all be-all but it's a great starting point for you if you're a novice better out there and you're looking to get more involved in college basketball I think Ken Palm is a necessary part of, uh, of your process but it's just interesting that Kempom's numbers and his, his ratings are a lot different than, um, than the ratings you'll see, you know, power rankings on ESPN and stuff like that and the AP ratings, so, and those are definitely a lot, the, the Kempom numbers are a lot closer to the Vegas numbers, and as we all know, Vegas knows best when you see uh, teams like Wichita State who are a 10 seed who would be favored over all but eight teams in the entire tournament, and yet they're a 10 seed. Um But anyway, the top teams against the spread so far in college basketball, according to TeamRankings.com, Ole Miss 13-1 against the spread, Oklahoma 12-1-2, and then a three-way tie, Hofstra, Eastern Tennessee State, and Sanford are all at 13-3, and in terms of big names, Virginia's right there at 11-3 against the spread. The worst teams against the spread, according to teamrankings.com. Tennessee teams are somehow in this, in this list again to too. The Tennessee martin team is one and eleven. Middle Tennessee is two and twelve. Iona two and eleven. And notable teams, Northern Iowa is at a poor three and eleven. And Xavier. Xavier is five, ten, and two, which makes sense. The seniors are gone from that team and the market was slow to react to that team taking a, a dip on their performance. Um That was pretty easy to predict if you were onto it, but 5, 10, and 2 for Xavier. Um, At the beginning of the season, I advised hopping on a Gonzaga future right around this time. And the reason for that was Killian Tilly would be coming back, one of their star players. And at 10 to 1 right now, I think it is a good idea to do it. Um, Tilly is back, and they're starting to hit their stride in a weak conference. So they'll just keep on winning games by double digits, meaning that it's reasonable to project that their futures payout is only going to go down as the season progresses. Remember, this same team, Beat Duke, got a neutral earlier this year without Tilby, and projecting them as a number one seed right now, um, if they get to the Final Four, even the Elite Eight, you can begin to maneuver with that 10-to-1 ticket because it'll have equity already by that point. So I think that's a good look, and this could be Gonzaga's year finally, but... You don't even need them to win it all to make money off that ticket. Again, if you got a, got them at ten to one and they make the final four, you're you can do a lot of maneuvering by that point. So I think it's a good look right now to hop on Gonzaga because I really can't see a scenario where they're any less than a two seed in the in the tournament. But really solid chance that they can get a one seed. But this also comes with the caveat to remember. I'm gonna stress this again that the futures markets are usually a very bad deal for you. The better the the books. They take out too much VIG when you add them all up, way too much VIG usually. Um, but the futures market's also a market that's shaped by public perception. So if you beat this market, you need to obviously buy low when the time is right on certain teams. And I think that Gonzaga is a good example of that right now. Um, some other futures that I have in pocket at varying amounts include that aforementioned Gonzaga 10 to 1. I have Tennessee at 35 to 1, Michigan 33 to 1, Virginia 18 to 1. A little little slice of uh, Marquette one fifty to one, and then yes, I do have some Duke four to one. One of my sites was uh, one of my outs was paying or laying that number when all the other uh, places seemed to be moving it at the beginning of the season. So I did take out some Duke at four to one, but um, it's really worth noting to buy buy low on teams when you can. Gonzaga is a good example of that. But if you can assemble a nice futures portfolio earlier in the season and find value on some teams, you'll be. You'll be pleased come March uh, that you have that equity moving forward as the tournament goes goes along. And this year, I think just like the NFL playoffs, March Madness, we're gonna it's wide open. There's a lot of teams that can win it, and it's tough. It's tough betting on Virginia at that time, but I think Virginia's really gonna bring extra uh, focus, obviously, into the tournament this year after becoming the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed last year. Uh, Kyle Guy, such a great player to watch too in Virginia. Obviously, they're tearing teams apart to start this year, just like they were last year. So it's, you has got to take it with a grain of salt. I think the, the way this team plays uh, is not really set up to succeed in March. But at the same time, they have undeniable talent, uh, NBA talent as well. And they have guys that can actually score. Kyle Guy can, can really score the basketball. So it's it's worth uh, taking a look at Virginia. If everyone else is going to be down on them, then they they could be your value team as well. All right, so I want to jump into the NFL Divisional Round Weekend card, but really quickly, this upcoming weekend is one of the best sports betting and sports viewing weekends of the entire year, in my opinion. Um, when you ask a lot of Vegas guys, oddsmakers and professional sports betters alike, a lot of them single out this weekend as their favorite one of the year. The NFL Divisional Round games, you have that going on. Couch basketball conference games, are, you got full slates there. Um, obviously, got NBA and NHL action, too, so it's probably – you know, it's no surprise that that sports betting national championship run by DraftKings was is this weekend. I think that they singled this weekend out for that reason as well. So this weekend's gonna be an exciting and an exciting one. And let's let's take a look ahead now at the NFL divisional round weekend card. Hello! As I've stressed, value is hard enough to come by in the NFL, let alone in these isolated playoff games attracting so much betting attention. So you really got to beware of finding value uh, just on the straight sides this weekend. Having said that, there's some interesting trends that I'm going to include, and I'm going to break down all four of these games individually and give you my leans on them. But a couple trends really quickly. Underdogs are on a 14-1 run in the playoffs, dating back to last year. But this round is historically not good for underdogs, especially teams playing their third Consecutive road game heading into this week, and that applies to the Chargers, the Colts, and the Eagles this week. Those teams in that situation are 13 and 46 straight up, and 20, 37, and two against the spread in the playoffs. Teams playing their third road game in the divisional round, and the common theme of all the four t- home teams this week, though, is that they are all regressing at the end of the year and trending in. Uh, a bad direction, whereas they're facing underdogs who are trending in the opposite direction. That really applies to all four teams in this scenario. When you think of the Chiefs, and I'll touch on their numbers in a second, the Rams, the way they've kind of faded down the stretch, the Patriots, they're not looking like uh, your Patriots of the past, and then obviously the Saints as well. And on the flip side, you have the Eagles, who are charging, obviously making their their run, defending their their, uh, their title from last year. The Chargers, we all know what they've been doing. The Cowboys, they're They've been hot. And then the Colts, they're the hottest team in the NFL. So let's start with that Chiefs-Colts game, um, the first game on the slate tomorrow, Saturday. And my first inclination when I saw the opening number on this was to actually look at the Chiefs laying five points, especially considering the Colts' travel schedule. thought maybe it would be the end of the road for the Colts and they'd, they'd uh, meet their match in the Chiefs. But after adjusting my power ratings and diving deeper into this one, I think that the Colts actually have value at their number. The Colts have been the best team in the AFC over the past two months. There's no question about it. And they seem to be getting better with every single game. They have probably the best offensive line besides maybe the Saints in all football. And they're the only team in the playoffs with a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. On the flip side, the Chiefs, they have not been the same team down the stretch. And we've, we alluded to that a couple months ago um, on the podcast. I said that we tried to, Looked to fade the Chiefs more down the stretch as the weather got colder. And I did end up doing that. And they covered the point spread only one time in their last seven games. And they went 3-3 three and three straight up in their last six games. Um, obviously, the Chiefs are are a great offense. But I don't think that offense is really built, built to do that well in January. On the flip side, we know how good Andy Reid is with time to prepare. His numbers against the spread off a bye are, are insane. And he tends to do really well in week one every year in the NFL schedule when he has extra time to prepare. Uh, With two weeks to prepare here and with last year's loss in mind, that loss to the Titans, I won't forget that one. With that in mind, you know that they're going to bring an all-out effort and the home field's probably going to be worth more than three points for the Chiefs. It's going to be crazy at Arrowhead. But all the pressure is on the Chiefs and Andy Reid this week. They haven't won a home playoff game since 1994, and they've been against the spread, disaster in the playoffs. And they also have a rookie quarterback playing in his first playoff game. Plus one of the league's worst defenses that's just not playing well heading into this game either. So all of that combined definitely has me not betting on the Chiefs this week. I'm not going to touch them. Um, at the same time, I'm not looking to play the Colts on the spread, although I think there is a little bit of value. I have this one graded out. If if this one got to 7, it would be an auto-take on the Colts. If the Colts got to 6, I would I would put a little bit in pocket, but at 5, it's kind of that dead number. I might scrape out a little bit of Colts' money line here, but I'll be looking for in-running opportunities on this one. I think Andrew Luck can have another big day, but I also think they can run the ball really well. Marlon Mack props could be, could be worth a look as well. I'm not looking to play... Lux passing yards over because that number's pretty inflated. I saw 310, looks a little high. So, um, but this one I'm not gonna, you're not gonna see me betting on the Chiefs on this one. It's Colts or pass for me, and I'll be looking to to get involved in running on this one. The Rams and the Cowboys Saturday nights. I have a lean to the dog here as well. It's really because the the Rams defense is what worries me. They do not stop the run very well, and obviously the Cowboys like to run it with with Zeke, and they will run it with Zeke. And on top of that, uh, we don't really know how healthy Todd Gurley really is. The I saw the over-under on his um, rushing yards prop. Is, is The number's at 80 and a half, so that's what's, that's what's currently being offered there. But I think that in terms of home field, one of the, under, the things that's not being looked at as much, there's going to be a lot more corporate fans in the audience, but we're still looking at a 50-50 split on the fans here, so just a slight home field advantage for the Rams. If you're looking to back the Rams this week, I think Jared Goff would worry me as well. He's struggled at home in his entire career so far. According to Mark Lawrence, his database, uh, Goff is 6-12-1 against the spread at home in his career. And even worse, he's 2-10-1 against the spread against teams that have a 400 or better winning percentage. So, And obviously the Cowboys apply to that. I do like the Rams to win here, but I'm just not going to lay the points with them. And if I was forced to bet this one, I would be taking the points with the underdog. <laughs> Moving on to Sunday's games, the Patriots and the Chargers. Top to bottom, I have the Chargers as the better team here. They're total world beaters on the road. Obviously, we know that they can't lose on the road this year. I think it's been nine road wins. But this is just a terrible travel spot for them. Um, back-to-back west to east, uh, east coast two weeks in a row. Uh, whereas the Patriots, it's the exact opposite with them. They've been chilling at home for about a month now. They haven't had to travel anywhere, and that gives Belichick even more time to prepare. So a little interesting stat here. Wild card dogs who won straight up and move into into uh, the divisional round. That's the Chargers here, obviously. They're only 20-34 and 34 against the spread in their divisional round game. And on top of that, we have a huge fundamental coaching mismatch here. Like, I mean, who do you trust at the end of a game if it's tied? Belichick versus Anthony Lynn. Yeah. So, and on top of that, Tom Brady. We have very strong Tom Brady trends um, at home. He's 19-3 and three straight up. Um, and at this price range, and that's in, um, that's in playoff games, and in, in this price range at minus 6 or less, he's 5-1 and one straight up and against the spread at home. So... Another crazy stat, too, from old Mark Lawrence's vast database. Home teams in the, the division round coming off a rest who lost as a favorite in their last playoff game the year before, so last year's game. They tend to come out in this round with a vengeance. They're 22-2-2 two two straight up and 18-5 and against the spread in this game. So that applies to the Patriots here. The trends all support them. The travel spot definitely does not favor the chargers I do think the chargers are there on a neutral this game would be a pick at least um, just all the other factors equal I would even have the chargers maybe a slight favorite but for me I think this it's a pass I actually really'm tempted to play the Patriots if it got down to three and a half or three I think I would take the Patriots here but um, it's a pass for me at the current number but it's going to be a great game I'll be looking to get involved in running in that one as well) <laughs> Finally, the Saints and the Eagles, and this one I do have a play, and we have we actually have a teaser. I'm going to be giving that out in a second. But uh, the Saints and Eagles, the Eagles are just a different team with Nick Foles, and I think that's obvious now if you look at it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what he does to the team, but even the defense seems to play better when he's out there. I don't know. I want to talk to I've talked to Philly Fran, see what he thinks about who the starting quarterback should be next year. I mean, obviously, I think all Philly fans obviously are. They love Wentz still, but it's going to be a real problem if Foles keeps, <laughs> keeps winning games for them. But at the same time, I don't think we're going to see that 48-7 to final score that we saw the last time these two teams played in New Orleans earlier in the season. Far from it. Um, but for me, I'm on the over in this one, over at 51 points. Uh, there's a few reasons why. The f- First of all, the Eagles, they have fantastic wide receiver options. You can even make the argument that they have one of the best wide receiver uh, cores left in the playoffs right now. Obviously, Foles... Great players to work with. Um, And Foles has shown that he's good at getting the ball to those guys as well. On the flip side, their secondary, the defensive secondary for the Eagles is putrid. And and look for a well rested Saints offense just to pass all over these guys and hit at least one or two big plays. I actually found a nice uh, play on the Saints team total over at 30, over 30 at plus 125. I think it's 30 and a half. Minus 110 on either side I'm seeing right now, so that's great to get that over at plus 125. But I I believe they scored 30 or more points at home in every game this season except one. But I like the over 51 in this game. I think the Eagles won't be able to run the ball, so they'll be looking to pass and at least keep up a bit on their end. I think look for the Saints to score on that really bad Eagles secondary. And obviously the Eagles have the the talent at the wide, wide receiver position on offense to put up points as well. The only worry, obviously, I'm betting it over in this is if the Saints are winning. If it's a blowout, the Saints are running out the clock at the end. But at that point, might be able to look to, uh, to try middle of the game. So over 51 in this one, I really do like it. And then the other play that I'm in, I, I don't have any sides this week, although I said I was looking to maybe get involved with the Colts' money line. But um, if the numbers stay the same, Probably not gonna have any side plays this week. If they move, I may, but my play for the week is a teaser, a two-team teaser, six points Um, the Saints and the Rams, tease them through the key numbers of seven and three. Um, you can get the Saints to minus two and get the Rams down to to minus one. Actually, on one of my sites, I was able to get both of them down to minus one, which was crazy. At minus one ten too, so it's a huge edge. But I like the teaser on the Saints and the Rams, asking both teams to basically just win their games outright and honestly, if you really wanted to, to put a bigger position down on that, I think there's nothing wrong with taking the teaser on the Saints and the Rams, asking them both just to win outright, and then playing a little bit of a position on the Cowboys. So if the Cowboys obviously cover but don't win the game. You hit both legs. You know, you hit that Cowboys uh, ATS bet, and you'd have the Saints, the Rams side of the the, uh, the teaser come in and then, you can maneuver from that on Sunday night uh, when the the Saints play the Eagles. You can take the points of the Eagles, try and middle that one, or just ask for the Saints to win the game pretty much outright. There's a lot of different ways to play that one, but my two top plays this week: the two-team teaser on the Saints and the Rams, teasing them down to ask them basically just to win the game, and over 51 in the Saints and the Eagles. Hop on that now. I'm seeing that line start to move today. One or two sites, uh, one or two outs that I have are at 51 and a half already. One of them has more juice to the over, so I would hop on that over 51 right now uh, if you're if you're looking to get involved in that. But that'll do it. Um, we will be back next week with the next episode. We're going to dive more into college basketball, obviously, as the NFL is, is kind of winding down the stretch here. After this weekend, we only have three more games. We've got the nfc and afc championships next sunday and then the super bowl two weeks after that so we're really going to start moving into college basketball i'm going to dive more into college basketball totals and finding value on the college lines because there's a lot of games being played lots of value on that board and don't let anyone fool you college basketball is the best game to beat in sports betting so i'm lining up guests for upcoming weeks as well one friend of mine is going to have a report from vegas he's going to be there during the championship weekend next weekend so we will have a report leading into the Super Bowl, and then I'm looking to bring on multiple guests to take a look at Super Bowl props and to break down the big game with me. But besides that, be ready for a new episode next week. Thank you for listening, and enjoy your weekends. Good luck with your bets. I'll talk to you soon. Doggy juice, out. <laughs>